Thanks for listening to this week's Hope at Crossroads. We are glad you're taking the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can connect with us through our website, hopeatcrossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends and let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Videos of our messages are also online at hope at crossroads.org. And now, here's this week's message. Amen. Thank you, Terry. I got a feeling, I'm not a singer per se, but I got a feeling it's easier to sing that like at 6 in the afternoon or the evening than it is this early in the morning. So good morning. It's good to see you. I hope you had a great Christmas. And uh, the new year is quickly approaching. Just a couple of quick reminders so we don't have to do this at the end. Please make sure you get one of these announcement sheets. We have a lot coming up in the life of our church. And uh, we are working on our Crossroads cookbook. I'm just telling you, there's some great recipes already collected. If you want to add yours, just uh, print that out. Or you can email it to me and get it to me. And our devotion books are already out. And they're in the back if you want to pick up one of those. A lot of things coming up in the new year, including our men's conference. I think we're up to about 30 men. My prayer is for 150. Uh, So if you're a man, young or old, you are invited on January the 29th to join us. We have some uh, other churches I know that are going to be coming. So please mark your calendar for that in February. A couples retreat. uh, And we're going to be staying in town, just going to downtown Greenville, limited to the first 25 couples that sign up. Guys, lead the way. 100 bucks. That's it, 100 bucks. So uh, the church is going to help with that. And downtown Greenville, Foster and Laura Christie are going to come uh, lead that for us. So please just remember that, if you will. And then the women's conference, there's a sign-up at the back. And also um, uh, somebody, several of you actually have come to me and said, we need to be praying more. I agree. You can never pray uh, too much. Uh, I know Terry Malden does a great job texting out prayer requests for us to pray. Uh, but we're going to try to start a 24-hour uh, I don't know what you call it, prayer chain, I guess. And if you want to pick an hour of the week, there's a sign-up sheet in the back. Uh, just one hour that you would focus on praying for our church, our community, uh, and our country. So if you would do that, I would be, uh, I'd be grateful. Christmas is over. Some of you are saying, Amen, Hallelujah, Pass the Chicken. Uh, and the New Year is quickly here. I know some of your houses probably still have wrapping paper all over the place, littering the floor. Uh, Some of you, I don't want you to raise your hand, all right, but some of you probably already have put the tree up and already vacuumed and things are back to normal at your house. Uh, I understand. We're not quite that way, but but it'll be be cleaned up pretty quick probably this week. Uh, And uh, maybe your dishwasher is full of all the kitchen uh, dishes that have the leftover Christmas food. Uh, I won't ask you to raise your hand on this either, but I know some of you... Probably ate too much. I was one of those people. Uh, I, I'm, I think I may vote for just one meal Christmas Day next year. Two is too many, and I know some of you had three. You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> three meals on Christmas Day. Well, I ate a lot. I'm still getting over Thanksgiving. Um, and so I know some of you with children, maybe the toys that you purchased are already broken. Uh, and that's all right. That's all right. And so it's time to get back to normal, right? Or... Or is it? I think about the Christmas story, and when Jesus came, things didn't go back to normal. 
Uh, things did not return to normal. As a matter of fact, things were never the same again because of the Christ child that was born. And the city of David, that magnificent, world-changing, happy event is over. And I don't know how Mary and Joseph must have felt. The angels are gone. Maybe the letdown is there. Uh, maybe that, uh, you know, kind of food coma has set in. I don't know what they felt. The shepherds had returned to their sheep. And here they are uh, finding themselves, okay, now what? And that is a question I want to pose to us this morning as we think about now what? Christmas has come. Christmas is over. Now what? So if you've got your Bible, if you open up to Matthew chapter 2, we're just going to read a few verses that happen after the birth of Jesus. And uh, three characters, I guess, a couple of them are groups of people, but I want us to kind of look at this morning and you kind of decide who you most identify with. So let's read it together. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Now let's stop right there. The scripture just told you, Matthew just informed us, the chronology, the time at which Jesus was born. Matthew just told us, in the after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the days of Herod the king. So Herod was a king when Jesus was born. And behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled. Interesting. And all Jerusalem with him, and gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people... He, that's Herod, began to inquire of them where this Christ child was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and they quote Micah here, You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time that this star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said to them, Go and make careful search for the child, and when you found him, come back and report to me, so I too can come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them, and took, came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house, and they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him, and opening their treasures... They presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in the dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Three groups of people I want us to look at this morning who were there after Jesus was born, the now what, who through their own uh, behavior tell us and show us, and Scripture tells us, uh, what their reaction was to this child being born. And the first one, uh, by the way, that we read about is King Herod. Now, you, you probably know this, uh, but Matthew, when Matthew chapter 1 closes, when that scene ends, if you're watching the, the movie in your head, when that scene ends, Matthew chapter 1, it closes in Jesus is a baby. When we start with chapter 2, Matthew picks up here, and we start with chapter 2, it's, the story has jumped ahead maybe 18 to 20, 24 months. 
Biblical scholars kind of debate how many months it was. It could have been up to two years. You say, how do you know that? I'll tell you in just a minute. But it could have been up to two years has passed by when we jump into Matthew chapter 2. So if you're watching the video, the scene fades to black. And when it fades back in and it's new scene, they're in a house. Mom and dad, Joseph and Mary are there with the child, no longer a baby. The child Jesus is there. And it tells us in this scripture that Jesus was born and Herod was the king. So the first character that I want us to look at this morning is King Herod. Jesus was born. Uh, King Herod is there. Herod the Great, he became known as. And he becomes greatly troubled and disturbed when he hears that there is another king that has been promised to come and has been born. He's not really happy. And if you study about Herod and you find out about Herod, uh, Herod was a very influential person. He was wealthy, he was politically gifted, he was intensely loyal, Uh, he was actually an an excellent administrator, uh, very gifted in politics, Uh, he was uh, clever enough to remain in the good graces of all the Roman emperors, Uh, he had overcome famine in the land through some very creative things in his uh, administration and had great building projects or even admired by his enemies. I mean, he was, he was something else in human, uh, human understanding. He was power hungry. He inflicted incredible taxes on the people. And uh, he resented the fact that many Jews considered him a usurper, that he was kind of uh, illegitimate, that he really should not be in the role that he was because he was not uh, a Jew. He was actually an Edomite. And here he is in this role, um, probably, historians think, probably somewhere around, according to our modern calendar, about 4 B.C. So here you have this king over the land who hears about another king. He's a little nervous. He's a little nervous. He's thinking, what's getting ready to happen? He was not a nice guy. He was actually referred to as the Jewish Nero, because he was so jealous and power-hungry. And he had an uncontrollable suspicion of anybody and everything that was going on. Maybe you know people like this. Have you ever walked up into a group of people, and the people stop talking when you walk up, and automatically you think they were talking about me? He was kind of like that. He was suspicious of everybody. So suspicious, as a matter of fact, that we know from history he slaughtered 300 court officers He murdered his wife. He murdered his wife's mother. He murdered his eldest son and two other sons simply because he suspected them of treason. So this is not a nice guy. So when he hears that there's this another another king potentially on the scene, oh, the hair on his back stands on his neck stands up, and he's like, "Okay, I have got to figure out something to take care of this." Biblical scholars and historians tell us he's married probably nine times to fulfill his lust and to strengthen his political ties. And uh, he, was, he was paranoid. He was a paranoid guy. He was ruthless for protecting his position. And so he had no resistance to kill a coming, uh, a, a child who could grow up and become a king. And you'll know through history, most of us know, uh, a child couldn't become a king, actually. 
especially male, a male would become a prince, and then at some point later he would be given the title king. But Herod is really nervous because they're already calling this baby and this child a king of the Jews. So he's really, really nervous. He liked his life the way that it was. Uh, He had no intention of bowing down to anybody else, so what does he do? He devises a plan to take care of this threat that is coming to possibly take over his kingdom. And we read about that on in the latter verses of chapter 2. We find out in verse 16 when Herod realized later on when he was tricked by the Magi, he became enraged. Verse 16 says, He sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its surrounding communities from two years old and under. Why? Because we're going to find out in a minute. That's the time that the Magi told him that the star appeared. So his goal is to go and just to make sure I get this quote-unquote king of the Jews, I'm going to make sure that every child, every male child, two and under, is slaughtered. Now let's just stop for a minute and bring this home into modern day 2021, soon to be 2022. I don't know about you, but I look in the media and in our world, and I see some similar people who are power-hungry and control freaks, on both sides of the aisle politically, and they'll do whatever it takes to achieve their goal and their agenda. And we look at that, and I, like you, see things on the media and social media especially, and I see those things and I think, man, what evil, what evil. Folks, nothing's changed in 2,000 plus years. Here's a guy who was, if, if you think some of our folks now that you might want to name are evil, Here's a guy who has slaughtered and killed hundreds of people that got in the way of his political agenda. So it's nothing new. There's no new strategy. Satan's tactics are exactly the same. And so he devises this plan. He's furiously protective of his little kingdom. Now there's a question for me as I was reading this this week. And I started looking at these characters that we're going to look at this morning. And I was asking myself the question, who am I most like? And then when I read about Herod and I thought, here's a guy who's fiercely protective of his own little kingdom. There's this person called the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I really am not a fan. Because all of a sudden inside my heart, I felt the Lord saying, have you ever been that way? Are you that way right now about anything? Furiously and feverishly protective of your little agenda. Because, see, it's easy to look at some of these characters that we're going to look at this morning and say, well, that's exactly how the world is. It is for sure how the world is, but unfortunately, sometimes it's how the church is. And sometimes even believers in the church. As one of the pastors here, i got to tell you, I get highly frustrated looking, and we've had these discussions among the staff, and some of you that are in the know, we've talked about this as well. I look at some of the things happening in our world in the name of Christianity. I look at some of the things happening in the Southern Baptist Convention. I look at some of the things happening in the South Carolina Baptist Convention. And I see people feverishly protecting their own agenda, and I have to ask the question, is this the nature of Christ? Or some other nature. And we all can be guilty of that. Because we all at times can be people who are not wanting to give up control of our lives. And sadly there are sometimes in my own life where I am even that way. I'm protective of this little kingdom. 
And sometimes in our society we see people who are uh, unwilling or maybe even unafraid to admit that they're sinners. They don't want to submit to God's ways. And that for sure was where Herod was. He was not going to release control and to do anything beyond what he had already done to get him in his position. And he was threatened by this baby Jesus. Because he knew that things were going to radically change. But there's another group of people that we see here. And Herod actually calls them out because when he begins wondering, as these magi arrive, and we'll talk about them in a minute, when they come into town and they ask questions about where is this king of the Jews, we've been following this star, and Herod gets troubled, he says, I better figure out some answers to the questions. And isn't it interesting that the person who was the king, Herod the Great, who should have known the answer to the question, by the way, has to call on another group of people. And that is the chief priest. And we read about them in verse 4. And the scribes, he gathers them together and he begins to inquire of them in verse 4 where this Christ was to be born. Herod gathers them all, all together. They were the religious scholars of the land. They were the ones who would have known Old Testament scripture and prophecy. They were easily able, by the way, to give him an answer to his question because they jumped right in as soon as he asked. And they said to him in verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, if you're looking for this baby... He's in Bethlehem. Now, where were they? Jerusalem. You travel that right way. And by the way, at some point, hopefully in the near future, we're going to take, we've already mentioned this, take a church trip and we're going to go to the Holy Land and see it for ourselves. It's about five miles. And so they're asking, okay, where is this promise of this king of the Jews? Where is he born? Where is he at? And they jump in and they answer, the chief priests and scribes answer and tell them. Interestingly, they, uh, the chief priests knew the prophecies, by the way, about the Messiah very well. But what's interesting about this group of people, can you picture it? They have, Herod has gathered them together to ask him this question. They give the answer. But what we don't read in the scripture, and as far as we know, I think Matthew, who is pretty detailed on his account of the birth of Christ, would have told us this. But we don't read about them making any effort to go see this Christ child themselves. Even when we know this large caravan of foreigners, the Magi, we'll talk about in a minute, has arrived to go see the Christ child because they have heard and they've seen this bright star in the sky and they're going to go see the religious people of the day have not sought him out. They've given the answer. Oh, we know where he's supposed to be born. He's yeah, about five miles. But they haven't gone. They didn't ask around the city to say, hey, have you, heard, have you heard anything about any special births, anything going on? Anybody have a baby? They didn't ask anybody. They didn't uh, go out and check for themselves. They didn't pray and ask God if they missed it. We're just told, we're, we're, actually we aren't told of any response whatsoever that they had other than answering Herod's question when he was asked. It actually appears that they were completely indifferent about the birth of Jesus. It's easy to see, especially at this time of the year, that we see a lot of people in the United States of America pretty much like that. We just got on the other side of Christmas and for a lot of them it was just another day on the calendar made no effect. They may have known about Jesus. They may have known that some of us were celebrating. Hopefully all of us were celebrating the birth of Jesus. But for them, and a lot of them, maybe even religious people, it made no difference in their life. And I think about our world today where most people, you would think, 
know about Jesus, at least in the United States of America. They may not really know the real Jesus. They may have a counterfeit or what I would call plastic Jesus. But, but they are religious, but they don't really, doesn't really change them. They're completely indifferent, these chief priests and scribes. Some of the questions I wrote down in my notes today, Jack, how often are you like that? How often does the fact that Jesus came, he was born in a manger, he grew up to be a man as we celebrated Christmas Eve, had a great service by the way, and he went to the cross and he died and was resurrected. How often do you think about the impact that should be making on your life? Because if that is the truth, and it is, then for these scribes and these, uh, these chief rulers, these chief priests, it should have made a difference. Actually, they probably should have said, we've heard where he's, gone. he's been born, come on. We're going to take you to him. We're going to go, let's get a group, let's join this caravan. But no, they were just pointing the way. Can I be honest with you? It's sometimes easy as a Christian. It's very easy, by the way, as a pastor to just point the way. And at the same time, God not be doing anything in you. Because see, it's easy to be spiritual. And it's easy to be and look religious. A lot of our world looks and we're, we're fantasizing about spirituality in this year in which we now live. And next year won't probably change much. We th- talk about spiritual things. But if the spiritual things of life, the real things of life, don't impact me daily in my life, the way I walk, the way I behave, the way I live, then it simply is just religion. It's just head knowledge. And for the chief scribes and these Pharisees, that's pretty much what it was. And sometimes all across our land, unfortunately, maybe even especially this time of year, many folks fall into this category who maybe even are in church every week, around the land and maybe even have perfect attendance, maybe baptized, maybe gone on a mission trip, maybe we believe all the right stuff, we maybe even have scripture memorized, but it never impacts how we live every single day. And that was exactly where these chief scribes and Pharisees were. All head knowledge, but no heart transformation. They had changed their behavior to some degree, but it was more modified behavior than transformed Heart, a mental ascent. Oh, yeah, we know about this Jesus that you're talking about. Just go over here, take a left, go down Damascus Road, turn left on Nazareth Lane. Follow the star. So there's the chief priest. It's a dangerous place to be, by the way. Is if you fall into that category, you know people who fall into that category of chief priests and scribes who know everything, but it hasn't gone from here to hear. I may have shared this with you some time ago. I had a friend of mine one time that asked me, a, I thought it was a mathematical question. He said, do you know how far it is from heaven to hell? And I said, okay, this is a trick question. He said, 16 inches. It's from here to here. My fear is that there are a lot of people in the church in America that we know a lot about Jesus. We have the our scripture, we have multiple copies of God's word. We have it on our smart devices and we know, we know, we, have, we are full of intellect. But if the intellect that we know has never migrated to our heart and transformed our heart and changed our behavior, then it's probably not much good. And that's kind of how the chief priest and the scribes were. Do you know anybody like that? Have you ever been like that? There are 
many of us in this room and perhaps in congregations and sanctuaries across worship centers across the land that could stand up and share more information and know God's word better than this guy. But knowledge doesn't change you. Knowledge applied is what changes you. Just knowledge doesn't change you. And the scribes and Pharisees were full of knowledge. But then, thankfully, we have another group of people. And I love this group of people because history has not recorded exactly correctly, and tradition, I should say, has not recorded exactly right this next group of people. And it was the Magi, the wise men. And Herod hears from these guys who have traveled from the east and they come in and they ask him, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now that's a powerful statement as I mentioned already because they're not asking, where is the one who will be king of the Jews? They're asking, where is the one that has already been born king of the Jews? Which sends a shudder down his spine to think, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This, this little baby that's been promised has just been born and you're telling me he's already a king? Well, he, now keep in mind, he's thinking militarily. So he's thinking, how in the world has a baby already gathered an army around him and they're going to come take over my kingdom? He is getting scared. And so the Magi come in and most likely these guys... Uh, were from Persia, which was about 900 miles away, which means, by the way, it would have taken them a few months to get to Jerusalem. There were no Chevrolets or Fords. There were no vehicles. So to travel that long and to follow the star, which tells us okay, the star had to be there for a long time, they're following this star for all these miles, and they finally get there after all these months, and they walk in, and they are looking for this one who's been born king of the Jews, and they show up in Herod's office, and they start asking questions. And they probably were most likely, from history tells us, they were leading figures in the religious court of their country, wherever they were from. Interesting that their work was astrology and magic. I know in tradition we call them the wise men because that's safe. But according to biblical history, what they did as a profession was probably not anything most of us would say is very Christian or very spiritual. Spiritual maybe, but not Christian. So these guys were astrologers. They watched the sky. They were involved in astrology and they no doubt had been exposed to Old Testament prophecy from maybe some of the Jews that had settled after and during the Babylonian exile. And so here we are, we have these magi who are aware of the Old Testament scriptures and they're watching for signs of fulfillment. And then they come in and all these folks are gathered together and they hear about this baby, Jesus, from the scribes and the Pharisees who start quoting from the Old Testament. These men, and by the way, I, I know we sung it, I, I joked with Joey this week. I said, we're going to sing about we three kings and show me that in scripture. And we laugh because we know it's not. We, we think it's three. Why do we think it's three? Because of frankincense, gold, and myrrh. And nobody shows up to the party without a gift. So we think there are three gifts, so there must have been three kings. No, there was an entourage of hundreds of people. 
It's important that we get Scripture right. Because people can use what they think they know of Scripture as our weapon against us to say, well, if Jesus was so important, they only had three kings show up. No, there were hundreds of people, this migration of people that were following this star. And we know that some of them were who we would call the wise men. They left their homes. I mean, think about it. They left their homes, they left their families at great expense to travel hundreds of miles following this star to see the Christ child. There was no rest area. There was no Mickey D's drive through to swing through and get iced tea. There was none of that along the way. I mean, this is a long journey where they had committed, they are going after and they're following this star. And they get there because God has this star pointing the way to Jesus and they're watching and they're waiting. It's a long journey. I remember... Christmas times past where I would go with my mom and dad and we would go see my dad's mom. His dad had passed away already, but we would go see my grandmother on his side. And it was in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. And my sister and I, before we were teenagers, we would get in the back of seat of that station wagon with the wood siding on the side of it. And we were barreling down Clark Griswold, barreling down the interstate. And uh, I would about after every 15 minutes, I would say, Dad, how much longer? How much longer? And he'd say, Son, we got a ways to go. Ways to go. Because it was a six and a half hour trip, and I was wanting it to be over like that. And of course, you know, like some of you did who had siblings, you know, then the argument would start in the back. You're on my side. No, you're on my side. You're on my side. Draw the line. And my, my mom finally got to the point where she would put duct tape across the seat and say, That's your side. That's his side. Some of you are going to deal with that in years to come. There's there's your little tip. Use some masking tape. Just put it down the center seat right there. But that that was nothing compared to this biblical journey that these wise men took 900 miles in their following after this star and they didn't show up empty-handed no i don't know where they got them from but they purchased some very expensive incredibly expensive gifts along the way and they traveled for months to find this new king and when they arrived and they searched the child out and they finally after leaving herod make their journey over to bethlehem and they enter into the house we read what happened they came over and they stood over verse 9 where the child was and when they saw the star they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and they came into the house and they saw the child with Mary his mother Joseph probably out working we don't read about him in this story and they fell down and they worshiped him and they opened their treasures they presented to him gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh and while our Christian tradition holds that these wise men were kings it's actually an interesting contrast between the person who was a king, King Herod, and his reaction, and the guys who really were scientists. And they actually belong, probably, scholars think, to a priestly caste called Zoroastrianism. Say that three times. Because that group of priests paid a lot of attention to the stars, and they looked up in the sky, and they gained an international reputation for astrology, which at that time was highly regarded as a science. And so these wise ones who came from the east were most likely scientists, and they, God used their faith and their knowledge to bring other people to Christ. And as I read that this week, I was reminded, it's pretty ironic that God used scientists who maybe even practiced other religions to let King Herod and the chief priest and the scribes and others know of the birth of the Messiah. 
And when I thought about that a little bit more, I thought about this. God does whatever it takes to reach out and embrace all people. I wrote down this question in my notes. Has there ever been an unlikely situation where I've seen an unlikely person God used for his glory? And I thought of several, but one I thought of that just immediately jumped out into my mind because I was a big fan of the movie was when the Passion of Christ came out. And it's dated because that was probably a long, I don't know, maybe even 20 years ago. And this guy in Hollywood who was known for not-so-family-friendly movies called Mel Gibson said, I'm going to raise a lot of money and I'm going to do a movie about the Passion of Christ and the death of Christ. And I remember following that in the media, even before the movie came out, and there were people on both sides who kind of made fun and poked fun and thought, how could this guy know anything about Jesus? And yet, at that time, up until that time, it was the most powerful display of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, I think, ever portrayed on film. And millions and millions of people watched that. And I know of friends who even came to Christ as a result of that movie. And I think about, wow, God used a Hollywood actor who most people wrote off at that time as a drunk. And then I wrote down, that should give me some hope and encouragement. Because it's easy to look at this story of the wise men and to, once you know their history, to think, wow, God used them to, to proclaim and to spread the word of the birth of Christ. And uh, again, I wrote this down, yeah, God uses me to proclaim the good news of Jesus. There's no uh, reach that is too far for God to make sure, for him to make sure, that the news and the power of the Christ child is proclaimed to all people and everyone is given an opportunity to embrace the good news of Jesus Christ. The star, by the way, if you go back and look at that verse of Scripture when the Magi asked this question in verse 2, they don't say the star. When they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east. The star was Christ's star itself, but it also led others to Christ. It did this very much because it moved in the direction of following after Jesus. One of the quotes that I read this week as I was studying from a well-known preacher and theologian, Charles Spurgeon, said something that kind of just drove a little bit of a stake in my heart as I read it. said this, it's a sad thing when a preacher... And I might change that to say a Christian too. It's a sad thing when a preacher is like a signpost pointing the way, but never following it on his own account. Such were those chief priests at Jerusalem. They could tell you where the Christ was born, but they never went to worship him. They were indifferent altogether to him and to his birth. Perhaps one of the safest places to be, I've said this too, by the way, is in a church as a preacher or a pastor. And just point people and forget that God actually wants to do a work in you, too. And in you. And so these wise men teach us some great things. So the three groups of people, just to wrap up, we had Herod who displayed an open hatred and hostility toward Jesus. 
We had the chief priests and the scribes who basically were indifferent to Jesus, but all the while retaining their respectable religiosity, using the right words and the right phrases and the right religious persona, but not letting it change their heart. And then you have these wise men who sought out Jesus and worshipped him with great cost, not satisfied with just looking at the star, but actually following the star, not just admiring the star, but saying, we're going to follow that star and find out where that star is going, and persevered in this search, and rejoiced when they saw the star, and arrived at the destination, and when they entered in, bowed down and worshipped the king, and didn't show up at the king with no gift. They did not show up empty-handed, with just empty-handed adoration. Friends, there's a sermon right there just off of that one verse, as far as I'm concerned, because I thought about it this week. How many times do I, how many times do we, show up for worship? And do we show up with just, just, just show up? Worship is supposed to be where we show up and we give something. And in the modern day church, most of the time, it's, our attitude is not that we don't receive. We receive from worship. Praise God, we receive from worship. But we're not the one being worshipped. It's the Christ child. He's the one that we come and we lay gifts at his feet. And so you and I can't show up. I was reminded, of, this is just for me this week. I can't show up with just empty-handed adoration. I can show up with singing. I can show up with exceedingly great joy. I can show up with a celebration. I can lay gifts of his, at His feet, not just financial gifts, though that is a part of fulfilling the Great Commission, but I can show up laying my life before the altar of Christ. So here's a couple of questions as we wrap up this morning. Who do you most identify with? Who are you most like? It depends on the day of the week. I may pick one of the three. I may alternate. Oh, to, ooh, today I'm like, ooh. Who do you most want to be like? And this morning, as you think about responding, you may say, how do we respond? Just three quick things I would encourage you to do. First of all, to seek Christ. There are a lot of quote-unquote stars in the world. That are flashing brightly saying, seek me, seek me, follow me, follow me. And they're distracting. They're trying to get our attention. And so we have to seek Christ. Matthew says this later in his gospel, Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Second thing I'd say to you is serve God with your whole life. The Magi worshipped Jesus. They, they were not just, it wasn't a token gift. They were, they were all in. They worshipped Jesus. They left everything to travel this great distance. They gave great gifts. They came to see the Messiah and they were prepared to give. And if you and I want to experience Jesus, then we have to worship Him. And we have to be willing, and I'm so grateful that this church is, willing to make sacrifices to put Him first. Sometimes those sacrifices come in the way of our treasure. Sometimes it's our time. Sometimes it's our talent. The last thing I would say for our response could be, should be to submit to God. After seeing the baby Jesus, that was the only response that the wise man could have was to submit to him. 
And sometimes what God calls us to do and to submit to is unfamiliar and inconvenient. Sometimes, just to be honest, it's uncomfortable. But I'm glad God did not call us to be comfortable. He called us to be more like Him and to represent Him. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank You. Now what, God? Now what? What do we do? Christ's child has come, what should our response be to a world that desperately needs to know Jesus? Lord, there are a lot of things that tries to, in our world, to get our attention, but I pray that you would help us just to focus our mind and our heart on you. Lord, as we're going to sing in a minute, just to turn our heart to you. Friends, as you're praying there in the seat this morning, I would just ask you that question again. Who do you want to be like? Which person, which group of people in that story? Would you ask the Lord to help you today? If you've never given your life to Jesus today, I'll be here at the front. My friend Heath will be here in just a moment. We'd love to pray with you and to share with you the simple way just to say, Yes, Jesus, I stand in need of you. If you know the Lord today, maybe this is a reminder for you like for me that If I'm going to worship him with my everything, he has to be my everything. So I pray that the Lord would speak to your heart today. Lord, I pray that you would have your way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning if you need to respond? How the Lord spoke to your heart. We'll be here at the front waiting. If you'd like to put your roots down and be a part of Crossroads and you've been visiting for some time, come join us this morning. We'd love to make that known. Would you sing with us as Terry leads us this morning? We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. In addition, we want to invite you to check out some of the great items at our website that will help you, or you can give as a gift to a friend. Devotionals and other resources are all available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you will tune in again next week.